This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. This is Where You're From, an origin story podcast at the intersection of faith and culture that digs into the influences and experiences that shape who we are today. Join us as we gain insight into the Bible's wisdom for all, regardless of where we're from. Well, this is a unique opportunity that we get to pull back the curtain at Where You're From and hear from the incredible people who work on the production side to help get this show out there to you. So I'd like to introduce Ryan Clevenger. What's up, Ryan? Hey, how's it going? Good. Jade Gusman. Hello. And Mary Jo Clark. Hello, hello. <laughs> so glad you decided to pick up a mic and you know <laughs> leave obscurity in order to join us for this conversation. How y'all doing today? Doing well. <laughs> Feeling vulnerable. It's weird being on this side of the mic, that's for sure. <laughs> Okay, how about you, Jade? Yeah, doing good. I'm excited for this conversation and to share the stuff that we get to work on. Now, Ryan, we have the unique privilege of being a part of a conversation that's highlighting the women guests that we've had on mm -hmm. the show. Yeah. And I'm glad that as guys, we get to kind of be a part of that conversation, aren't you? Absolutely. I think this is a great opportunity. And I think we've had a lot of amazing guests on in the past three seasons. So I'm really excited to share. So I'm, I'm curious in particular, who are some of the guests that you're thinking of that have left an impact on your life? Oh, wow. When I think back, I think about some of the guests who have spoken on topics that are near and dear to my heart. And we've had a couple in particular that stick out to me. And a little background is my wife and I adopted three biological sisters from South America. And so issues about orphans or the hardships that many of them go through really resonate with me. And they were a couple that really stood out in that regard. Uh, the first one was Todd and Beth Guggenberger, who run a ministry called Back to Back Ministries that helps orphans around the world. And just to hear their story of the things that they learned about what it takes to care for orphans. Every time I edited it, I was just in tears because they really draw out how much caring for the person is a precursor to the gospel. And so I love this part uh, in the episode with them where Beth describes how she was trying to show that to a team that they had with them caring for some orphans. Once we saw those kids hiding their food under the mattress and we realized <laughs> lots of things we can't do anything about, but helping orphans get food, there's at least some place we can start. We were double income, no kids, so we had just a little bit more money than we needed. And we put one of our salaries in a bank account for the year and lived off of the other one. And at the end of that year, we thought we were sitting on a treasure, which it was just one year of a teaching salary, but it felt like a treasure. And it's with that treasure that we then decided, let's just go move to Mexico and live there until this treasure runs out and see what we can learn about the culture of the hurt child, what we can learn about the Mexican culture, what we can learn about God's heart for marginalized, what we can learn about each other. 
that was the moment when we decided this journey is going to begin. And then we got to Mexico, July of 1997. That's when we moved there for the first time. And we had a group of students show up not too long after we got there to come on our mission trip. Todd and I didn't even know what we were doing, really. And I was looking at these students like, Lord, why did you bring them here? Like, what in the world could we possibly do in the face of so much need? I got out a piece of paper and I said, every single orphan you interact with has had their heart ripped in half. And I ripped it in half. And then I started to tell them some of the experiences we knew orphans had at school and dorm rooms and visitation days as they try to fall asleep when they work in homework. I just kept ripping and ripping. And I said, with this tiny little fraction of a piece of paper I have left, if I told this child that God loves them and has a wonderful plan for their life, there's no place for that gospel to grow. There's no heart there fertilized enough for them to even understand that. We're going to have to actually love them for a long time before the gospel will even have a context. And we were realizing eventually an orphan would look over at us and be like, who are these people? And why do you care so much? And Whoever got to be an earshot of those sets of questions got to say, oh my gosh, they're just extensions of a God who loves you and he sees you and he's in pursuit of you and he has this unbelievable plan for your life. And now they're ready to hear the rest of the gospel message. But really very early we realized there needed to be deep care for the whole of a person especially for a kid who's experienced trauma before a gospel story would really. And so if, if people have testimony, like I met this orphan and I share the gospel and they prayed to receive Jesus, that's amazing. It just means somebody went before you and did all that work before you. And the image she uses is just amazing and powerful and really shows how when we care for the needs, the physical needs of people, that opens up an avenue for the gospel. Mm, so good. And we're going to keep it rolling. Jade, who have been some of the women that have touched you, inspired you? And tell us a little bit about what you do with the podcast in particular. Yeah. So with Where You're From, it's kind of funny because I started as an intern. So this podcast has a nostalgic feel to it for me because this is what I started on. And this is what I fell in love with is working on this podcast. And thankfully, I got to stay here so I continue to help with content. I've kind of moved away from Where You're From and I've started producing God Hears Her more. But every once in a while, I get to review a show or work on content with Mary Jo and Ryan. And I love it. I just love this show. But honestly, the first person that comes to mind for me is Dr. Christina Edmondson, just because I loved her talking about mental health. And I specifically loved that. Of course, that's a serious topic, but she can talk about it with humor. Her episode had a lot of laughter in it. And it's still it's such a hard conversation to have sometimes. But I just loved that she was able to laugh and able to talk about it with a smile on her face, because I think part of the heaviness with mental health is that when we talk about it, we feel like we can't be joyful and depressed or we can't be anxious and excited. And so I just think that that breaks that barrier a little bit. But specifically, one thing that stood out to me in that episode was she was talking about her relationship with her parents. And that was the beginning of her seeing people's mental health journey by watching her parents and observing them. And she talked about how trauma and grief shape us. But she also said something that her dad told her was that there is value in who you are. 
And I think a lot of times in our trauma and our grief, we think that that is what defines us, is our trauma or the grief. But really, there's value in who we are. There's value in what we experience and the way that we come out of that. I was raised by a woman who had lost both her parents before she was an adult. And so the ways in which that shaped my mother's personality, the way that shaped her commitment to difficult things, like her endurance, her persistence. So I had a strong sense of the way that grief and the trauma of grief can shape and misshape us, but the way also that hardship can kind of create what we call, you know, we think about post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, there's also kind of this reframe that we look at, which is kind of post-traumatic growth. The way that hardship for some people actually can reveal really who they are, and it can really push them, it can really inspire them. And I think I was raised by a mom in many ways who had a lot of post-traumatic growth. So I got to observe that. I got to observe that in her personality and her dorms, the way that she worked through her own sadness, her own the own losses that she had. And then I got to observe my dad, who was raised by a single mom in Baltimore in a really poor, disadvantaged space. And how that shaped him, how the distance and estrangement from his own biological father shaped him, the pain of that, the pain of overcompensating in that, and the way that that works out and how we see and then raise our own children. And I would be one of those kids. So just observationally, even looking at the people who loved me and shaped me, it gave me an interest in understanding how the family structure, the family system that we are part of, how their stories don't get stuck in time. Their stories, their experiences, their grandparents and great-grandparents, they come right into who we are, right into our literal DNA and our emotional DNA into who we are. So I just thought her episode was really powerful. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, I did too. And it is unique when we can talk about the need for hope and the need for mental health and also the human experience of joy and, right. and humor. And Dr. Edmondson did such a great job of blending those together. And so, yeah. Okay. What about you, Mary Jo? Well, it's funny because Dr. Christina has always been one of my favorites as well. And I actually started with the podcast department at Our Daily Bread in 2020. And so there was a whole lot going on in the world at that time. And I was working at Our Daily Bread, but in the contact center. So Where You're From became my lunch break break, I guess. It was my break from the world, what was going on. And also, it was my desire to get to know people's stories better that I didn't have an opportunity to know before. And so Where You're From was just a huge gift to me. And I was hopeful that someday I could be able to work on it. And then I got a job in the podcast department a few months later and have been able to work on it. But Dr. Christina's was one that drew me to where you're from. Uh, Mental health is a huge journey in my life and in my family's life. And so it meant so much to me to hear how she talked about it. But then, especially because of the seclusion in 2020, KB Newton's was another one that meant so much to me because of her description and the value she puts on relationships and especially the work that you need to do for those 
relationships. She talked a lot about vulnerability and the value in that in growing together as a community. And then also the detriment of cancel culture and how easy that can come to us. I think Dr. Christina also talked about cancel culture Mm -hmm. and how as Christians, we're kind of worse at it even. So those two were huge for me in shaping some of my thoughts that year. One day, literally, it just kind of fell out of the sky. I was like, I want to teach people how how to have intentional conversations, like conversations that matter, like heartfelt conversations, like heart combos. It just kind of like came out in my trying to figure it out. And heart is an acronym. And so it just started kind of like working through it. And heart is an acronym for honest, elephant-sized, authentic, real, transparent conversations. These are five elements that I think are essential to having any conversation that matters. Honest is pretty self-explanatory. Elephant-sized means having a conversation that feels larger than life or addressing the elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. So talking about that thing that no one wants to talk about, but we all know is sitting right here. It's right here. (laughs) Um, Authentic uh, has everything to do with showing up authentically in the conversation, not being who you think the person wants you to be or saying what you think the person wants you to say. Hmm. Real has to do with addressing real issues in real time. Sometimes we harbor things. We create a catalog (laughs) of wrongs that someone has, you know, had against us or um, offenses that we've kind of stacked up in our mind, but never really had the conversation about. And so if you're going to have the heart combo and be real, you're going to be intentional about having real conversations in real time when things are happening. And then transparent stands for having conversations that allow people to see through to the things that they wouldn't see unless you expose them. Got it. And so I did that. I created a course, a video course, where I took everything that I felt like I had learned in the space of camp, my time on staff with Impact, being in the in the band, and just I have a minor in psychology, just all the things that I knew, and I started putting it all together. And the response was ridiculous. People like, what is she talking about? Like, she's talking about relationships, but specifically friendships. And no one talks about friendship. Like, people talk about dating. People talk about marriage, especially in Christian spaces. How to be a great single and being content in your singleness. Or how to prepare to be a wife and a husband. And I'm like, okay, so in the event that God doesn't call you or, you know, allow for marriage, you know, what does that mean for you in intimacy and deep, meaningful connections with other people? Does that mean you forfeit that because? I'm not married yet or won't get married or what does it look like to cultivate that like amongst your brothers like men to men and women to women what does it look like to have people who are peer-to-peer alongside of you linking arms really committing to do life with you biblically speaking I believe that Jesus champions friendships more than any other (laughs) relationship greater love that no man has this than a man who laid down his life for a friend His whole ministry is centered around his friendship with 12 dudes. (laughs) You get what I mean? Some relationships thrived, some didn't, but he was still intentional. And then Carolyn Custis James, especially knowing that we are representing Women's History Month in this episode, she is such a beautiful example of a strong female that is working very hard to understand what it means to be a female follower of Christ and not letting the church define what that means, but letting Christ define that. What started to really bother me was just seeing some of the light material that was being marketed to women. 
and going to women's events and feeling like we don't need a softer teaching. We need really strong teaching because we're running into things in our lives and we're experiencing deep struggles and uh, hard questions and we need deep teaching. And I would go to a, a women's retreat or a women's event and I would be horrified by, you know, the nonsense and the patronizing and, you know, you're beautiful and blah, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. You know, when I'm thinking these women have been abused, these women are facing health problems, they ha have had enormous heartache, they're into financial troubles, life is coming at us just as hard as it's coming to anybody else, and we're not equipping them. I ended up convicted that the questions that were being asked about women in leadership and women in ministry were not big enough. Because when we have conversations in the church about women in leadership, we're talking about women who would be on staff or would be a pastor, but we're not talking about the rest of women. You know, and that's what I ran into, okay? I'm not gonna go to become a pastor. That was never my calling, but I'm not a wife and a mother, so the church isn't talking to me. It is not talking. Now, it'll talk to me in a general sense, but not as a woman. When we come back, our producers will share more of their favorite clips from some of the amazing women we've had on the show. That's coming next on Where You're From. This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. Hey, y'all, before we get back to our special episode in honor of Women's History Month, I wanted to share a quick teaser from our next episode with Chris Broussard. This is where you're from. During the altar call, man, I felt like everyone in that, and it was hundreds of people there. I felt like everybody in that church was like pointing to me like, you, you, you need to go down and get saved. You know, like that's how convicted I felt. So he asked people to come down, you know, give their life to Christ. And I didn't because I was like, I didn't want to get saved. I didn't want to be a Christian. I knew I didn't have to be perfect, but I didn't even want to try. You know, I didn't want Jesus to be my Lord. I didn't want to live according to his commandments and teachings or even try, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Now let's get back into our conversation with our producers on where you're from. Well, I get to kind of share some of my highlights. And Mary Jo, I have to say, one of the reasons why this person was a highlight was about how <laughs> geeked you were that she joined our podcast. <laughs> Kiara Sheard Kelly, yes. uh, you are such a big fan. <laughs> you're, you're, you're laughing now. Like, just 
tell the people a little yes. bit about what Kiara means to you. Yes, I am a 90s kid. And so when I was in youth group in high school, her album IOU came out and the song was You Don't Know. And it was about her mom's health journey and all that it meant to her. And it, oh my gosh, it became an anthem in my life. I loved it so much. And I felt it's so, it sounds so silly now, but my family name has always been JoJo, and her name at that time, she went by Kiki. So I just felt this, like, I don't know, connection between JoJo and Kiki. So, yes, I was super geeked when I heard that Kira Sheard Kelly now would be on the show. So, yeah, thanks yeah. for bringing that up, Russell. <laughs> no, yeah, it was, it, was so, it was so cute and also significant, and especially like you were saying when we talk about history and women's history in particular. I mean, she is a descendant of the Clark sisters. Mm -hmm. Her mom, Karen Clark Sheard, is one of the members of this vocal group who was pioneering and all of it centered on Christ. And so it was really fascinating for me to hear all of what that meant for Kiara Sheard Kelly and also finding her own voice, but not just finding her own voice, but also finding acceptance with who God made her to be. She mm -hmm. has a book that, you know, she had just come out with called Big, Bold, and Beautiful, Owning the Woman God Made You to Be. And she really talked very frankly about what it meant to struggle with her own embrace of her body type and being a, you know, plus size woman and in an industry where people wanted you to look a certain way and even pressure you to look a certain way, even in gospel and struggling with embracing this aspect that I'm made in the image of God too. My big may not be your big. Mine's was weight for me. That was an insecurity and sometimes my big mouth, but it could be whatever your insecurity is. So it could be the big feet. It could be the big eyes, the big nose or the big personality where people make you feel bad about these things because of us comparing it to what culture says is beautiful. And so I'm taking that big and it came from an experience where one of the guys that I dated, the, the last thing that he could say to me was you are big fat so-and-so. It broke me because I didn't expect it, but it happened another time from someone else that I was dating. And I was like, you know what? This is all y'all got. This is all you can say to me. And I felt good that that was all that you could say because that speaks volumes of my character. It speaks volumes of what's on the inside of me. And obviously, if you can only speak to how big I am, how wide I am, that's it. And, and so I wrote in the book too, that though I am not your cup of tea, that doesn't say that I'm not a cup of tea. That's what I'm hoping that people get from this book. And that is to not stop because one person say you ain't it. It's a world that waits for you. And whatever your big is, embrace that and be bold about it. And I became bold about it. And now I have a clothing line for curvy women. I'm an advocate for body positivity and health. And that's what big, bold and beautiful is all about. Own it. And it also reminded me on that issue of being made in the image of God, the conversation we were able to have with Akemini Uwan from mm -hmm. Truth's Table, friend of Dr. Christina Edmondson mm -hmm. and of the show as well. And when she talked about just the ways in which colorism and some of the issues with race as it relates to complexion, a lot of times people don't know that even within the Black community that there's the remnants of the perceptions about lighter skin being more valuable or significant mm -hmm. than darker skin and how she even at some point in her life bleached her skin to mm -hmm. try to look lighter or to look whiter. 
I did take in those messages, so I, I, I wasn't immune, you know, to white supremacy. I just, after a while, you just begin to believe it. Like, right. maybe I'm not attractive. Maybe I am ugly. I mean, there was a lot of self-hate for me, hating my dark skin um, to the point where I started bleaching my skin. Really? Yeah, so I so I did it in, um, I want to say about freshman and sophomore year for like a year, maybe about a year or two, you know, thinking that, man, Light equals pretty. Like, you know, in my own mind, I will be prettier if I am lighter. Sadly, it's something, it was just a common, very, uh, a practice very um, common among Yeah, that West blew Africans. me away when I listened to that episode. Oh, on Color True Stable. Yeah, oh, yeah. Something like over 70% of African women mm-hmm. uh, bleach mm-hmm. their skin yes. with very disastrous health consequences. Yes, yes. You go to the beauty supply, you'll see those light, those lightning products right here in Philly. To hear her talk about how the transformation she's experienced in her walk with Christ and the embrace of her melanin and her darker complexion, how that was very much foundational to understanding who she was in God. And now Mm -hmm. as someone who very much is seen as a leader, you know, among especially Black women looking to find that voice, it was really amazing testimony and a journey to hear how that works. So I I really enjoyed that conversation. Mm -hmm. Thank you all for sharing these insights. Anything else y'all want to share before we go? Yeah, I wanted to mention another one. One of the first episodes that I ever worked on was Ruth Naomi Floyd. And first of all, she is just absolutely incredible. Her voice in the recording and her singing voice are both beautiful and so fun to listen to. Mm -hmm. So just that in itself. But I also was just, I remember being so shocked by her story and her childhood and just how she just went into spaces that people wouldn't normally go to. And with her mom, she would hose down blood on the sidewalk from kids that were killed, boys, men that were killed. We moved to one of the toughest, roughest neighborhoods. I was between the ages of four and six, and we moved in, and we saw a lot of violence, but it still to date is one of the safest places I've ever lived because there was community. So my job was to help my mom hose down the blood so that the mothers wouldn't come out and see where their son's body laid and where the blood was. Again, I just asked my mom if I could do it, and she felt uncomfortable with me being so young, but I felt like even young, this was a way to give back. And I, I remember... Okay, hold on, hold on. You said hose down the blood after what happened? After the gangbangers were killed. And so, you know, it was back in the 70s. So they would have the chalk outline and then you would see the blood. They would pick up the body and the blood would be there. So my mom didn't want the mothers to come around and see where their sons were shot and to see the blood. So we would get up at night or whatever time and wash it down. I wasn't scarred by it. Even as a young age, I heard my parents talking, my mom saying, Melvin, we're going to go and hose away that blood. Mothers don't need to see that blood. And I remember that image of a mother coming out and seeing the body gone, but the blood remaining. Mm. And I wanted to be a part of that to ease that pain. And I see where God instilled that in me. It was not me. God instilled that for the later work I would do with death and dying. So just that really shocked me and just really put into perspective the way that Ruth grew up and the way that that just inspired her work for later when she worked with people that were suffering from HIV and AIDS. And she describes this thing called the death watch where she would sit with people who were dying from that and she would 
go through nights with them and she would wait with them. And I just think there's so much care in that. And that just also shows the love and care that we should have for people no matter what. So that really inspired me. And I also want to say she tells a story about when she was performing in Paris and they were practicing. I have a hilarious story. Well, it's not so hilarious, but I was in Paris one of the first times I was there by myself and one of the band members couldn't make it. So we hired an amazing Parisian jazz musician. So we're sitting there and we're, we go over the song and I was like, really at section A, I need to be mezzo piano because it shifts, it changes from the intro. So I need that U-turn. Then I realized it was just the one player still playing fortissimo. And so I said to him, you know, hey, I really need you right here. And he said, oh, just stand there. You're so pretty. Stand there and look pretty and sing. We'll take care of the music. Well, I am my mother's daughter. I said, can you take a moment and just tell me whose name is at the top right-hand corner of the score? And he goes, root, root something. Anyway, that's, yeah. And I said, there's an envelope in your binder for the rehearsal pay. Can you see who signed the note? Along with the Franks, it was back then, it was Franks. He opens it, he goes, Roots, 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 some guy Roots. And I said, I'm Root. That's my music. And that's my money that I'm paying you. You sit there. You look pretty and play pretty. I'll handle my music. Had no more problem out of there. (laughs) And I love that. That's like my favorite thing ever. Love it. Ryan, you have any other? Yeah. The other powerful guest for me was Jen Peterson, who was just on season three, who works for International Justice Mission. And at one point in the episode, she talks about the massive problem of human trafficking that exists Mm -hmm. now. And she also talks about what inspired her to start caring. And she hears the story about a girl that was rescued from trafficking. So it was 2006, and I had taken a group of young leaders from Dallas to Atlanta for the Catalyst Conference. And I remember sitting in the stadium, and Gary Haugen, the founder of International Justice Mission stepped onto the stage and shared just this story of what IJM was doing and bringing rescue to these girls that were trapped in brothels. And I remember him telling the story of a girl who was chained to a bed and had actually, when they rescued her, they had found that she had inscribed on the wall behind her Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And I just was weeping in my seat. And I I also kind of felt like one of those moments where it was like the Holy Spirit was just kind of tapping on my shoulder, like, Jen, I want you to do something about this. And I remember going home from that conference just shaken to the core. And it was like I couldn't even really remember any other speaker. And a few weeks later, I was leading worship for a women's retreat. And my mentor was there who worked for another nonprofit that worked very closely with IJM in Cambodia. And she too was sharing a a similar, if not the same story. And again, it was just like, okay, God, like this is twice now. I'm hearing you talk about this. I'm sensing this call to do something. I don't know what to do. And I just remember thinking about Moses when he encountered the burning bush. And when Moses was like, who am I, God? Who am I to do anything? Like, what am I supposed to do? You know? And God said to him, what's in your hand? And that's when he had the staff, right? And 
It wasn't even the staff. It's what God was going to do with the staff. What's in your hand? Use that. In the face of these awful things that are happening around the world, these numbers that are just too big to even get our minds around, what can I as a person do? And I think about that for my wife and I, not just at the adoption, but some of the missions work that we do overseas. Mm -hmm. She's a RN, so she does a lot of medical missions, and we think about what can we do? And Jen Peterson remembered the story of Moses, and God said, what's in your hand? And for her, that was God telling her, just use the gifts that I've already given you. Start there. And in the midst of atrocities that can seem overwhelming, God calls us to use the gifts that he's given us to help those who we can do something for and that every single life that we help matters. So good. So good. All of this reminds me of Proverbs 31, you know, that classic proverb. But it ends with charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And we want to just give these dynamic women their flowers now and just kind of share how impactful they've been to us individually and, and hopefully to you as well as you've listened. On that note, thank you all for helping us listen to the voices of women. Thank you for adding your voices mm-hmm. to this podcast. And also shout out to Gabrielle Boward, who mm-hmm. also makes us sound so nice process. <laughs> so please continue to listen to where you're from. And as we continue to celebrate voices that need to be amplified. And, you know, even though we only had enough time to highlight a few of our favorites, there are so many that we just want to give a shout out to Lisa Fields, Ambassador Susan Johnson Cook, KB Newton, Dr. Christina Edmondson, Carolyn Custis James, Dr. Alma Zaragoza Petty, Ruth Naomi Floyd, Kiara Sheard Kelly, Akimini Uwan, Wande, Beth Guckenberger, Jen Peterson, Kechi Akwuchi, Natasha Sistrunk Robinson, Dr. Debbie Turner Bell, Sheila Wise Rowe, and Nona Jones. Thank you all so much for helping make where you're from what it is. And thank you all, Jade, Mary Jo, and Ryan, for also helping making where you're from what it is. We couldn't do it without you. This is where you're from. I'm Rasul Berry. And remember, it's not just about where you're at. It's also about where you're from. This show was produced by Ryan Clevenger, Mary Jo Clark, and Jade Gussman, and was engineered by Gabrielle Boward and Kevin Burgess. Also want to thank Diana and Rachel for their help in supporting and promoting where you're from. Thanks, y'all. Where You're From is part of the Voices Collection from Our Daily Bread Ministries.